Hello and welcome to the Endurance Coach Podcast. My name is Mark Laithwaite and I'm here today with my co-hosts, ultra runner and sports psychologist, Dr. Ian Bordley, and also with sports injury specialist, Mike James, aka the Endurance Physio. Each week, we'll be telling you what's new in the world of endurance sports. We're going to have some amazing guests on the show and we'll be discussing how you can reach your true potential on race day. So sit back and relax. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon, boys. It is good to speak to you both again. Uh, I'm going to you know, go with tradition here and start with the weather. The weather here in Wigan has been a bit iffy. It's warm, but we've had a bit of thunderstorms and it's a bit some proper black clouds this week. So uh, not the best start to the year, I would say. What's it like where you are, Mike, down in Wales? It's okay. We've had a couple of really nice weeks. We had a funny weekend with about 36 hours where it just rained nonstop. Everything got flooded and then it's dried up and the sun's come back. Mm-hmm. Ian, it always shines in Birmingham, doesn't it? Well, almost all the time. It's certainly shining at the moment, but um, we've had some of those black clouds as well. Um, it seems to be uh, this similar pattern every day where sunshine one moment and then black clouds and horrible weather the next i got absolutely soaked in a session earlier today and but now the the sun's shining so that that seems to have been the pattern for the last few days here so yeah that's when you yeah and you look on the weather forecast and there's always like a cloud and then the sun poking out behind the cloud and then a couple of drops of rain and then a little lightning bolt and a little snowflake which means we don't (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> we don't bit. really know. And it could be any of them that we've drawn there. Could be any of them. Yeah. Um. Well, we've got lots of interesting things to talk about today, which will hopefully resonate with a few of our listeners. But of course, we are going to open with tweets of the week. And if you're not familiar with tweets of the week, it is looking at your last few tweets, what you've been tweeting, um, and uh, you've got to try and recap them within 60 seconds. Um, Mike is usually the champion here. Uh, Ian is the uh, pretender, and I am the loser more commonly than anything else. So I think we're going to start with uh, well, let's start with with uh, Mike. Uh, Ian, do you want to time him? No yeah, cheating, yeah. Mike. Don't look at the clock. I'll let yeah. Ian count you in. I'm I'm confident I'm going to be well inside. I've made really succinct, brief notes this week. Okay. Okay, well, I hope you fail. Whenever you're ready, Ian. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a countdown. Three, two, one, go. Cool. My first tweet is about an exciting event that's coming to the UK in September 22, the Barclay Marathons. I think we'll chat about this more later in other shows as it draws nearer. Lots of people thinking it's a, it's a play on words and it's not linked to the actual Barclay Marathons, but it may well be. That's all I'm giving away. I've spoken to the race organiser. It looks like an exciting event. Follow them on Twitter at at TB Marathons or www.barkleymarathons.com for the website. Then uh, the next one's an easy one because we're going to expand on it later. Seeing lots of athletes who are training to prove their fitness, not improve their fitness. Training is, is to get better, not to prove it. That got a bit of a storm on Twitter. And then finally... Um, not every mile is the same. It's important that we um, analyze our fatigue and stress through training rather than just how many miles we've racked. I think it's something I'd like to talk about more in another episode. But um, check out those tweets. It was quite good feedback, quite good threads. They'd be interesting to look at. And I think I've gone way over. I mean, I, I wasn't looking at the clock, but you must have gone way over there, uh, Ian. What's the uh, what's the outcome? I think it just felt longer than it was. Um, I've got um, one minute ten seconds, so not too mm. bad. Okay. Wow. God, felt like a bloody hour to me. <laughs> 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 I 
I'll, I'll try inside that. I'm not sure I've ever managed one minute ten, but uh, we'll we'll see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, do you want to go next, then, Ian? Uh, Mike, yes, are you going to time? I have. I've got a clock ready. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so yeah, my, both of my first two tweets are uh, exercise ph physiologists who I follow on uh, Twitter. First one, uh, a chap called Mark Burnley, who used to be at the University of, of Kent, um, and he started doing it. He started a YouTube channel uh, doing videos around sort of exercise physiology, uh, and he did a recent one um, about how to warm up like a pro. So he'd done some research in the past demonstrating how if you do an effective warm up and prime the systems then you perform better. So in that video, he demonstrates, presents some of that research, but also um, talks about how you can warm up very effectively, particularly for uh, quite short events. Uh, second one is an ex-colleague of mine, uh, Tom Solomon, um, who's now sort of moved away from academia to do more sort of athlete support work. Um, and this was, a, um, a again, a video um, giving a deep dive uh, into performance nutrition. It's actually a series of, of videos um, and this was one of that series, um, looking at how much fuel is stored in the body by the different macronutrients, but also which of those we can use most uh, effectively and how we can use that to sort of develop our uh, nutrition strategy. Uh, and then the third one was um, Alex Hutchinson, uh, and this is more sort of a topic in, in my area that was discussing um, athlete burnout uh, and how perfectionism and having perfectionistic tendencies can uh, put you more at risk of of athlete burnout, um, uh, which I thought was particularly interesting. So that's me. Cool. So th th there's not many tips we have on this one for doing well, but I would I would hazard a guess you won't win with a 42 second first tweet. <laughs> <laughs> that's our normal start. But 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 you managed to pull it all round in in a little over 135. <laughs> Oh man! I'll tell you what—you're the, the only sports scientist to know who gets worse with practice. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder if we um, change it to two-minute tweets. Yeah. Is that not what it is? Is what, it one minute? Supposed to be one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tweets of the year. <laughs> but but I'm I, I'm confident, Ian, that you've probably got a silver medal in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look at the clock now. <laughs> <laughs> right i'm ready right, right three two one go okay my first tweet is one of the other day i've started racing now back on the bike right racing a cycle time trial and i was racing on a sunday up at garstang and i pulled up on the start line and our friend brian fogarty ironman champ was starting in front of me and he turned around and was distraught and taking the mick out of me because i had hairy legs and they were calling me all sorts of names and i thought what world are we living in this world of cycling where a bloke is getting ripped to shreds because he's got hair on his legs that's not right uh, my other tweets i've been putting out uh, open water swimming i put a few tweets out about open water swimming at three sisters in wigan where we've started swimming on a wednesday night and we did start a bit early this year so the water has been chilly but it's warming up but we are uh, had a, a lot of people swimming with us and i think that's a real growth area over the last 12 months is people while swimming come down and join us at three sisters in wigan and then one of the other tweets the last one is this, the topic of fatigue resistance which i'm going to shoehorn somewhere into this podcast fatigue resistance some great studies have been done um and uh about uh which is basically showing that the the riders that were winning races in cycling events so largely were winning not because they could produce a huge amount of power for a sprint, but because they could do it when it counted after six or seven hours of riding. Stop. Stop the clock. Oof. So you, you started your third tweet and you looked like you're going to win, but you managed to drag it out to 122. 122? Yeah. Unreal. Still busy. Yeah. On the topic of... Um, the abuse for the airy legs. Physio friend of mine yesterday put a really funny tweet out that his um his son had got hammered by his mates in school because his snack was from a non-sustainable source. So the world <laughs> the world has changed. <laughs> what? <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. That's worse than having hairy legs. <laughs> 
what's happening now, isn't it? <laughs> well, um, so lots of things to talk about today. Lots of things to talk about today. I'm going to say I'm going to shoehorn that fatigue resistance in there. Um, James Sprague, I think it was, Sprague Cycle Coaching. He did some research. That was a, and I was really interested in that. Uh, and I've seen a couple of other people post it. This subject of fatigue resistance or uh, endurance, as it's been called for the last 50 years, but it's called fatigue resistance now. Um, but uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about, and we had a little chat between ourselves, is loss of motivation. So something I've noticed, and I know we talked about loss of motivation in the past because of COVID and there's no races on and all that kind of stuff. But just take move the COVID thing to one side. What I've noticed this year, and not just this year, and a pattern of previous years as well, pre-COVID, is a fascinating thing, which is a loss of motivation around this time of year. February is normally a killer month as well, isn't it? That's like the darkest month of the year. But how I see a conflict at the moment. I see people suffering a loss of motivation. The season's not started yet, but they've been training so hard since October, November. They're now suffering a bit of a loss of motivation and struggling to push themselves for their final eight to ten weeks as we come into summer. But on the flip side, they're also thinking, oh, I've only got eight weeks left. There's only eight weeks of training left. It's nearly here. So it's this weird, you know, weird thing where they're, they're worried that they haven't got enough time left, but they're also in a bit of a low point and lacking motivation and can't lift themselves either. And I've seen this not just this year, but, but previous years as well. And I don't know whether it's just because people push themselves so hard through winter and into early season and focused on goals that maybe there's so much physically and mentally you can handle. Um, and of course, there's a whole science of, of periodized training plans, isn't it, to get people physically and mentally, perhaps more importantly, to be at their peak. Um, but yeah, lots of people seem to be in a, a bit of a lull at the moment. Um, so what I would always say is people are listening. If you're racing Ironman or an Ultra or something in July, and you find that at the moment you're at a bit of a low point. You are not alone. You're not alone at all. It's a, it's, it may be more common than you think. So I know you were also talking about this, Mike, and you've seen it in the guys. You coach, haven't you? Yeah, I've seen a lot of it. Um, and it's interesting because I think it's really multidimensional. Um, I wouldn't pin my hat on, on any one thing being, being the cause. It seemed that the dozen or so athletes I'm helping with this right now some of it's physical some of it's psychological so um so i think i'd be even before i offer my thoughts i'd love to get the experts thoughts from ian about um his professional opinion on some of this stuff i thought you were going to come back to me then when you said expert but go on we'll go to ian instead fair enough <laughs> you can always correct me um mark what i get wrong but um i think i, I mean I, I know um mark was saying there in terms of putting um putting covid aside um but i think some of the factors that uh, are influencing people at the moment probably are linked to um disruption in schedule and sort of motivation for training um over the last sort of 15 months um i think interesting sort of the time of year one is obviously if that's something that is a pattern that we've seen um at this time of year uh, over several years then obviously that's that's something separate but i think some of these other factors might be exaggerating that effect um this year um because as mike uh, said there sort of the, when people's you know the, the influence on people's motivations are multi-dimensional um if you've got a time of year where you often see sort of a dip in motivation i think that's probably you know if people train quite hard through the winter i think it's quite natural that before you start getting into a competitive period and sort of seeing some of the results of that training, then obviously that can be, um, can undermine your motivation because you've been putting a lot of effort in, but you're not seeing necessarily seeing reward for that. But I think um, at, at this stage, and then as you sort of move into that sort of more competitive phase, then the, the motivation tends to return at that point. Um, and I think you see that naturally in sort of, if you think about uh, a normal marathon training schedule you know if someone's training for the london marathon in, in april quite often people struggle most motivation wise in that sort of early march mid-march period that sort of third month where you've been putting a lot of effort in for quite a long time but um you're not necessarily you haven't quite got there uh in terms of getting the the reward in in performances 
But I think physically, obviously, that's having an impact on you at that point as well. So that's just naturally affected mood, I think. And I think one one of the key things for me is that, in terms of being prepared psychologically, is is recognizing that that's a natural part of people's training that they'll um, that that's something you'll experience. And I think I think one of the risks is that people often think that physically that means that they're that sort of people here tend like being overtrained. Um, being stale and so on it's it's looking at your actual performances and how you're actually performing in training to look for evidence for whether you are overreaching whether you are you know starting to move towards overtraining or whether it is just a natural point where you've been investing a lot of effort for quite a long time um, and that naturally your motivation to keep doing that can start to get challenged in that period where it's probably necessary within an endurance training program to have that period where you really sort of consistently training quite hard when you're already fatigued isn't is an important part of the training but it ultimately does undermine your motivation because that's that's quite challenging um to do um i think so if you separate that and you're looking at your actual performances in terms of your training and whether your output is still where it should be and you're seeing improvements at points when when you should see it then you, that that's a re, that should be a reassurance for athletes and i think that monitoring of your um, of your training and your performances within that training is an important aspect of that because it's very easy to draw the wrong conclusions in terms of well I need to back off a bit in terms of my training because obviously I'm I'm doing too much because I'm not feeling motivated um, when it might just be a natural part um, and you might need to sort of lean on your social support network in that period to sort of get you through train with other people um, mix things up in terms of the sessions you do to try and maintain motivation through that period but obviously if you are seeing a consistent decrease in performance then that may be something you do need to look at whether you are doing too much and whether uh, a recovery period is needed but i think you know as you say that that's a natural part of the um uh, of the training cycle but i think there might be a number of factors at the moment that might be adding to that that sort of leading to people's motivation being lower than it normally would be um and i think that the likelihood is that people's training and their preparation to the point where we are now is different to what it's been in in previous years and most people certainly people who are consistently training year in year out have got a general pattern uh, and routine to their training um, and it's likely that's been disrupted um, even in, in terms of whether people were training at the same level or in the same way earlier in the cycle than they would normally because they were uncertain of what was coming up um, but also whether they're able to put in the same sort of milestones within that in terms of other events and other training uh, races that they might do within the schedule to solve those, those things that we check back on and it lets us know that we're where we should be in our training because if we're not getting that feedback that we normally get from those milestones that can be quite disorientating I think for us as athletes because we uh, we're putting lots of effort in but we're starting to question whether we're actually progressing as much as we'd like to be and we haven't got that feedback from those other events so it might be that we're confident events that we've entered in june and july are going to happen but there's still quite a lot of events in the month or two that we've just had but also in the present month that have been cancelled that are probably disrupting people's schedule um but i also think a lot of people were, were using their training the people who did train well through sort of the lockdowns and through the the, the worst parts of the pandemic I think a lot of people are using the training more as a coping mechanism uh, in, uh, in terms of that normal, something that, they, that is positive and that obviously improves, there's a positive effect on mood. Um, I think it's quite challenging for some athletes to then switch that to a performance focus. Um, uh, and I think that might be you know, disrupting people as well now because all of a sudden it's, you know, it's not just training for the positive benefits it gives me in terms of mood. It's training because I've actually got to get into a, into shape. And when people haven't raced for a long time, that can be quite threatening for athletes because we, we all have levels of performance that we sort of think about ourselves and part of our athletic identity of being an athlete of a certain level, all of a sudden that, that hasn't been challenged for quite a long time. So we probably still think of ourselves as that athlete, but there are now dates in the calendar where that, you're going to either be able to demonstrate that or you're not. Um, so I think that can be quite quite threatening for people. So 
it, it's probably a, a combination for different athletes in terms of whether those, all of those factors or a combination of those factors are influencing people. But I think that might be sort of combining with that time of year that you referred to, Mark, in terms of um, that might explain why a number of athletes are suffering. So th there's some initial thoughts. I probably went on a bit longer than I should have. No, no, no. I've got a couple of things that you said there which are really resonating, but I'm, before I start banging on, I'm going to come back to Mike. Yeah, no, it's only about 30 seconds longer than your tweet of the week, so it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I echo everything Ian said there, to be honest. Um, my experience of the, the people I've dealt with so far this year is um, there are some that it's a trend over a, over a number of seasons that we're trying to address. There are some that have just been a magnification of the last year. Um, interestingly, I think the things that have jumped off the page with the athletes I've seen there's a real lack of confidence among some athletes about returning to racing. Mm -hmm. they, they, they're literally like a boxer who hasn't fought for a period of time, and now they suddenly realise, oh, crap, I'm going to get punched in the face again soon. All the sparring, all the training was fun, and I couldn't wait to get back to the fight. But now the fight's actually happening. I don't know if I can fight again, or I don't know if I can fight like I used to fight. So uh, so certainly this week, there's... Um, there's someone I've worked quite closely with through the winter who's, who's looking at getting back to his first ultra next weekend and, and a real crisis of confidence, which which the training doesn't suggest should be there, um, but but it's just happening. I think from a COVID point of view, what I would what I would add in for some athletes this year is we've been through a, a, a tough time psychologically for most of us. Um, and now as the world opens its doors again, we were speaking off air. I've suddenly got about a dozen commitments in my life again now that have started back up with kids, work, family, which I didn't have before. And that certainly made me factor in my training a lot harder than it was six, eight weeks ago. So um, so some of it, it's just the practical things, I think, that, that will affect your motivation and your ability to train. But um, but I think in general, I, I echo everything that Ian said. It's it's normally a transient thing for most people and uh, and what what i would just suggest anyone listening is is careful of is not trying to steal what may be someone else's problem and they're thinking it's yours i think this is a very individualized thing that um that will affect different people different ways so it was definitely time for self-reflection to see what's your motivating factors and and perhaps the problems from them um one of them i think we'll come on to later when we chat about training to improve fitness not prove fitness i think there's been a huge cohort of athletes over the pandemic that have trained to prove fitness and now they've lost that sort of balance of of what their training is trying to achieve yeah 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 <clears throat> i mean to be honest you've just covered uh the notes that made from a uh, from it on ian as well um but you're right i guess that thing that's suddenly like you know the kids have got after school club activities and I know a lot of people never stop working and the kids never stop going to school but for a lot of other people you know they did have more free time that they might have been working from home or whatever it is and uh, and it actually in some ways made it easier for them to to train and now you've got all of those other things you've got to factor in so now you've got to go back to work and you've got to get you know get the business back up and running all and and the kids have got after school activities and all of this kind of thing and suddenly you're you're fighting to try and fit the same training plan in and it's just that overall stress load, isn't it? So the training's the same. It's just the additional stress now that you've got to try and add on top that that can grind down on people. But I um, the point Ian made about the switch from training to performance, and I know you just mentioned it again there, um, Mike, I, I think is a fascinating one. And I've had this conversation with athletes this week, and we were kind of chatting on our Facebook group about this, how the difference between training for training's sake and the training routine and then focusing on performance and the actual training routine for a lot of people it's just it's part of their life isn't it it's habit we all you know we swim two or three times a week and we ride on a Thursday night or we ride on a Sunday and people like that routine that's part of being a being a runner or a cyclist or a triathlete or whatever is that training routine and knocking out the training sessions is one thing but exactly like Ian said now there is well, we're eight to 10 weeks to go to racing. We know that there's only eight weeks left and then you've got to perform. So where are you now on the performance chart? And that 
the switch for I tell, I've noticed in the past people seem to enjoy the training and he, I, 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 I see a considerable number of people who actually racing is almost an afterthought it almost gets in the way of the plan you know this is my training plan and I love the routine I've got a race on Sunday that's a pain in the arse I was going to do a tempo run on Monday all right you know and there's not really much thought about the race because the the plan is the be all and end all that's what they live for is to do this routine and I suppose really from a purist perspective we train to perform well in races so our attention should be on what do I need to do well to race rather than focusing on the routine but but I think you're right Ian I think there is maybe there's a switch now going I've got this big race in eight weeks and whilst I feel I've been training regularly and training well now I've got to focus on performance and am I there are the numbers there are the you know am I running fast enough am I swimming fast enough because I'm going to have to prove it in eight weeks time and I think maybe there is a panic now with people and it's just knocking them a little bit in the confidence because they know that they've got eight weeks and then they have to perform and um, it's not just about knocking out the daily routine and enjoying the sessions with your mates so uh uh, just going something else you mentioned earlier on in one of your tweets because I want to pick up on that as well. What was the uh, tweet you mentioned about uh, perfectionists? Uh, just that people who um, um, so research making a link between perfectionistic tendencies. So um, in terms of uh, perceiving lots of particularly when you see. Uh, perceive external pressure to try and satisfy being perfectionistic to sa- satisfy pressures from other people are, are, are linked with athlete burnout so it puts people at greater risk of athlete burnout um, so generally when you've got um, perfectionism in terms of sort of perfectionistic striving then that's seen as being more uh, a positive element but when we're seeing it for these sort of so- what we call socially prescribed perfectionism where it might be the coach or parents um, or you know, other people in your social network that you're trying to be perfect. You're trying to be perfect to satisfy those needs in particular is mm. um, it, it is particularly negative or linked with negative outcomes. And one of those outcomes is that that's been linked recently is athlete burnout. Um, that's classic because that links in as well with what we're talking about this perfectionism thing and people you know, wanting to do well. But I, I mean, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I see it, I mean, I see it a lot in, tri, in triathletes that to some extent they are all that type A. There's a lot of type A people, very driven and everything, you know, uh, marginal gains and everything, perfectionist. They'll spend money on a pair of Euro calf socks and the right Euro helmet and get everything right and data and get the wattage and let's start graphing what was my power curve today. And I think the sport itself and the coaching side of it as well coaches it it pushes that perfectionist element you know if you've been told you have to ride in a certain position with certain kit on and a certain power output and everything all of that is creating this kind of perfectionism isn't it and uh, you know and we've talked in the past about how people who are internally so they ride a bike or they run or they swim because they enjoy it primarily are the ones who generally stick at it longer and I believe I know you said there's lots of evidence to support that Ian um, and that's an interesting debate isn't it on you know doing it for enjoyment versus this perfection of just have every little you know dot every I cross every T and that seems to be maybe where we're going a little bit with sport at the moment in you know in the age group ranks I don't know what you think about that, Mike. No, I agree. I think um, if you turn the spotlight onto skill-based sports, think of golf, you think of tennis, you think of some of those, even sort of like youth football type stuff, then this is something that's been evident for a long time, that, that burnout mm-hmm. post, post-seeking the pursuit of, of perfection and the burnout for those who, who sometimes don't attain perfection. Um, and I agree with what you said there. Last 10, 10 to 15 years, there's been the skill of the endurance athlete come in more or people focusing on the skill of being an endurance athlete more. And, and I think that's bound to carry the same burnout risk when you're chasing perfectionism. Mm. Uh, Ian, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I think in particular that, um, so I think sometimes 
we can see quite uh, i mean there's a distinction there between sort of the the enjoyment and then obviously the striving uh the striving for performance is not necessarily um distinct from certainly sort of positive elements of, of motivation in that um you can get a lot of satisfaction from certainly being uh, performing well in terms of self-reference terms. We've talked in the past in terms of sort of the dangers of too much focusing on how your performance is compared to others because that's a, something that you're less in control of. I think in terms of perfectionism, we see something similar here in terms of that distinction between um, if we're being perfectionistic in terms of you know striving for high levels of performance, that can still be linked with some positive outcomes. It's when we're doing it to try and satisfy pressure from others or expectations or perceived expectations from others that it can be particularly challenging because again in a similar way that's something we're less in control of so if we've got a coach who's always is never happy with our performance and he's always moving the bar then that's something we're not in control of and we feel as though it's something that we can never satisfy but it's something that we invest our self-worth in at the same time then that can be quite a a toxic combination for, for a person psychologically I think um, and I think that's something and in particular that that research that uh, I mentioned from the tweet was focusing on how people perceive their coach uh, in terms of their perfectionism and I think anyone who's working sort of in an athlete support personnel role it's yeah, everyone wants to bring the best out of the athletes, but you've got to recognise what the best way of doing that is and sort of striking that balance, have you, in terms of sort of pu pushing people along and encouraging them to sort of set challenging goals, but also recognising that, that you've still got to allow the athlete to take ownership of that and for them to have input into what those targets are, but also that they feel that they're sort of achievable targets as well, so that the athletes always feel as though they're having input because the perception of autonomy and contribution to people's um, schedule and, and the goals that they're working towards is very important in terms of people being optimally motivated. Um, I think the risk is that sometimes a, a coach feel, uh, might feel as though it's their job to set the targets and to set all the objectives and but if they take that away from the athlete too much then that can undermine that um, th those perceptions of autonomy and actually um, l lead to sort of more extrinsic forms of motivation. Mm, yeah, and I guess I mean we're talking about um, you know people being perfectionists in sport, and I, I I do see this more and more in. But I mean, age group triathlon is a prime example for me, as I've said, you know, because it's leaving no stone unturned and just doing everything they can to 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 cross all those T's and dot all those I's. And I mean. I probably would go as far as saying most of the age group triathletes that I meet have some kind of exercise addiction. And, I, and there is an obsession there. When we're talking about perfectionism, I don't know I'm talking about obsession or perfectionism, really. You know, and, and how that balances up against enjoyment. So when I, mean, I have a conversation with people and saying, well, the key thing is that you enjoy it. But I think when you say that to someone, what they hear is, well, you're just telling me not to try and be competitive and not do it well, but just to go and poodle around and have fun. And, and there is a way of enjoying sports and still being competitive, isn't there? It's uh, it's the distinction I think between enjoyment uh, and terms of, and satisfaction, and also uh, and whether yeah, you know, globally, yeah, you know, if you think about your sport in its entirety whether that is satisfying and enjoyable for you because it's inevitable that at times endurance sport isn't always enjoyable you know when you're really sort of in the middle of a really tough session or towards the end of a, a, a very tough race I don't think you would ever really class that categorize that as enjoyment but you could get an enormous amount of satisfaction about being able to sort of bring those performances out of yourself. But also um, that training that gets you to that level of fitness actually means that most of the rest of your training is much more enjoyable as well. Um, because obviously if you're a lot fitter then you feel strong, you can take on more challenging workouts and get a lot more um, satisfaction from that. So I think, you know, Sometimes I think there's a misunderstanding that every session should be enjoyable when you say what's important is that you enjoy it. 
I think what's important is that overall that your engagement with endurance sport is very satisfying um, for you uh, and finding the best way to, to ensure that that's happening. Do you know what I'd throw in potentially controversially as well is um, when you're saying about the pressures for perfection placed on people by things like coaches and, and peers, then there's never been more people trying to make a living out of being a coach with endurance sports right now. And I just see this trend where the coaches are trying to justify themselves, their incomes, their their prices, they're trying to recruit clients um, instead of them going somewhere else. And I see them really becoming over complex and over complicated in their approaches. And maybe some of that is now transmitting on to the athletes. Perhaps the coaches are giving more than they need to give. Perhaps they're asking for tracking and data and metrics and things that they don't really need to be asking for with the average athlete um, in, in a way to justify the sales pitch of their services in some ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, if you're charging £150 a month and then you're writing someone's plan, do a two-hour easy bike ride, you know, and they go, am I paying 150 quid a month for this? So with that, you're, you're absolutely on the money there, Mike, that, that people, the, the coaches feel they have to overcomplicate things to justify their price tag. You know, and whether people do that session or not, maybe too complicated, and they just go, you know what, I'm not even doing that, I'm doing something else. But it doesn't matter because they, they, they've written the session, so they've done what they were paid for. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'd agree with that, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's a, that's a very, very common thing. But uh, so I, I think with this, I was having another conversation with a friend of mine this week, and we we're having this conversation about how you write plans and you coach people. And there is... Um, there is an ideal plan, isn't there? And then there is a person that's got to do it. And uh, I, I remember in, in the past, I think, when I used to train for Ironman events, you know, I'd think, right, I've got to go out on my bike this week and I've got to ride 100 miles. And I have to ride it on my own because on Ironman day, I'll be on my own. And I need to ride it in the time trial position because I'll be in the time trial position on Ironman day. So I need to ride my time trial bike. And then I need to ride, ride at the correct power or heart rate and I'll take my nutrition and I'll practice. So getting more and more specific. So there is an ideal session here, which is me riding on my own in the TT position at the right power and heart rate, practicing my nutrition. By the time I get to the weekend, I just think I can't face that. So I'll ride 100 miles, but I'll call a couple of guys and we'll go out. And we'll probably stop at a coffee shop and I can get the 100 miles done. But there's only so much I can physically and mentally handle in a week. <laughs> So there is an ideal plan and then there is a person that's got to do it, isn't there? And I think that overcomplication adds just more and more and more sometimes. And I, I think it's difficult. You've just got to take a step back. But I, I am waffling now, but what I was just going to say is, so if someone's had burnout, and they're feeling a bit burnt, like burnt out now at the moment, without putting you on the spot, uh, Ian, just a simple one minute summary, which is dangerous looking at your tweets of the week attempts, but one minute summary, what advice would you give to someone if they're feeling a bit of a low point at the moment? I think I go back to one of the things I was saying earlier in terms of, you know, you've got to identify whether this is, is this a physiological um, issue that's leading to it or is it more psychological? And yeah, you can do that by looking at your training data. And I think that would be the first step. And then once you've determined whether if there's a physiological reason for it, then you, know, you probably need to back off and, uh, and have an easy week or two and then, and then come back into your training and, and then see where you're at physically. I think if, if physiologically everything looks OK, then you need to look at what, you know, what might be leading to it in terms of some of those factors we discussed earlier. And then looking how you can maybe change things to sort of freshen things up psychologically. So, you know, do you need to put something in that's going to give you feedback on where you are in terms of your training? Um, do you need to change your sessions? Do you need to start training with other people in the same way that you just described to sort of take the pressure off a little bit in terms of, you know, are you putting too much pressure on each of your sessions and expecting too much out of them? And, you know, do you need to get back to more sort of enjoyment and identifying what is that? What's the what? And I, this is what I was thinking of when you was describing that there, Mark, was, um, you know, what is the one thing, what's the primary thing you're trying to get out of any one session and what's the most enjoyable session that I can develop and design that allows me to focus on that and get that objective um, out of it and satisfy that objective. 
Uh, and therefore, I think it, it, that should allow you, you, in general, your training should become more enjoyable. Um, and, and just switching things up and changing things a little bit, I think, can freshen things psychologically. Um, yeah. But I think you really need to identify what the root of it is and then try to, 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 to identify to address that. Yeah, yeah. I would say if I did, if I forced myself every weekend to ride that 100 miles in the TT position, staring at my power meter on my own, I think I probably would have jacked in by now. <laughs> and there is a time and a place for that, isn't there? You know, so maybe have a couple of easy days and look, this is a test ride and we're going to do this. But yeah, there are maybe times when you need to uh, not do it. Uh, Mike, uh, see if you can do it in under three minutes and beat Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd reinforce that the, the number one thing you need to do is to go back and review what's been going on last three, six, nine, twelve months of of your life, both both from a, an athletic point of view, but from a lifestyle point of view. This isn't a weakness. This isn't a, a fault. It's something that you, you happens to a lot of us and you need to address. But the biggest thing you need to be is honest, honest of where you're at. When we talk about the physical stuff, a lot of the time people will be losing motivation because they've burnt themselves out and done a lot. But there's a population of people who've coasted through the last 12 months and perhaps potentially they're not doing enough. So it's up in their training for some of them. But um, don't overestimate or the physical and don't underestimate that stress cup. There's only so much stress you can tolerate in your life and it doesn't differentiate where the stress comes from. Work, life, family, non-exercise stuff can be affecting the exercise and the physical components of your performance. So um, so go back, review, and, and when you've honestly done that and critiqued it, adjust it accordingly. Yeah. I, I guess linked in with that, and what Ian was saying before, it's if people are actually hitting targets and being successful, then they're always motivated, aren't they? It's when perhaps you're not hitting targets that you start to lose motivation. And I guess if we go back to last October, people who venture a big event this for summer 2021 and go back to last October, they probably had in their head an idea of where they would be now in terms of their ability, their swimming or cycling or running speed or distance or whatever it may be. And if they're not where they hoped they'd be, so if, if we, you know, we get to May, June now and they're not where they hope back in October they hoped they would be, then maybe that's, you know, that's going to have quite a negative impact on some people, isn't it? And then the next thought is, I've only got eight weeks left. You know, what can you do in eight weeks? So, yeah. Mm, right. Well, we're going to move on. We're going to move on because uh, you mentioned something earlier, Mike, about um, training to prove fitness and not improve. And you also brought it up in your tweet as well. That's twice you've mentioned it now. So I feel obliged to go back to that and say, uh, ask you what that was about. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So so I'm seeing lots of athletes in the clinic right now, some with injuries and some with just underperformance. And it's all due to the last 15 months, which is, I guess, a consequence of some of the stuff we've talked about. They've embraced a lot of things like Zwift, Peloton, Strava. And rather than training to improve their fitness so that when they prove it in the race environment, it's it's a benefit. What they've done is they've turned training sessions into comp competitive racing environments, and that's gone completely against the training plan. So now they're underperforming and or they've picked up injuries because they've just been pushing too hard too often. Um, and some of these people now have really lost perspective on the purpose of training. And my advice to a lot of these is to be step away from all of those sort of um, systems that they've they've been using and just go back to train for feel and um, tra train for the stuff we've talked about in other aspects here. So um, so really, it was a reminder to a lot of people. Hopefully, it's not new news, but it's that if you've spent the last period of time pushing, 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 and you'll know if you're the ones, you're the ones listening to this that may have jumped on the bike to do an easy two-hour spin, and have suddenly raced up some tour, tour stage somewhere against 50 strangers on, on a computer system, and you've loved it and enjoyed it, but you've missed the whole purpose of, of what your intended session was. So for some people, it may be just to refocus on what is the point of training. Training is to prove fitness, uh, sorry, to improve fitness, not prove your fitness. You prove your fitness on race day um, or in selected sessions. There are obviously sessions in training where they're a test of your fitness, but um, but training should be there to improve your fitness 
as a primary reason not to prove it. Mm. Mm. Uh, Ian, thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think there's, uh, there's some great points there. I agree with what Mike said. I think um, we, we, this is something we obviously we've, we've touched on, but probably not directly in, in previous um, podcasts, in that a lot of people, obviously, for obvious reasons during lockdown, there was a lot of move towards sort of online sort of um, Zwift and so on and, and using those mechanisms. Obviously, once you're in that environment and that, that is becoming your training, and other people are viewing what you're doing. There's a there's a tendency, especially for some people, that as we as I mentioned earlier, when you're motivated by how other people are, are viewing you, then to try and make sure that you, you, your objective of that session is what those numbers are for other people to see, rather than what it's doing for you um, in terms of um, developing your fitness. But I think also I think when we're in the in sort of the, the worst of the pandemic and the worst of the lockdowns, there's obviously just a, a high degree of stress um, on people that they're probably not aware of, but they're probably under stress. I think just by what what's coming through the news, uh, what they're hearing on a daily basis, and I think the training at times was, as I mentioned earlier, like a, a coping mechanism for people. And I think sometimes. You know, if you go on the uh, and you're experiencing that stress, and you go on the bike, and you might have ex- intended a, a two-hour easy session, but then actually, what makes you feel a lot better is to actually work really hard, and uh, um, then yeah, that, that can be you. You're satisfying the objective of helping you sort of cope and sort of relieve that stress in in that moment. But I think it's just recognizing now that you know, hopefully, is that those external stresses that's, at least for us in the UK. Are starting to be relieved now you know thinking again and and being more sort of reflective about what the the main objectives of your training are now but also each individual session and identifying what it is you're you're looking to do and and recognizing that if you train harder than you meant to in a particular session to prove yourself um uh, through an online platform then that might diminish what you can do in a subsequent session and i think it's it's uh, the more we we keep that as sort of a something that we're consciously reflecting about and thinking about, then the less likely we're to, to fall into that trap. I think if we just, you know, allow us sort of our intuitions to, to guide our training, then we'll gravitate towards some of those external factors that might be leading us to um, to, to train harder than we need to in, in sort of recovery or easy endurance sessions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we have talked about this quite a bit in the past on you know, the podcasts and stuff, and it is that I suppose that change to output training, if you like. So power meter being the prime one, the power meter is telling you how you're performing, what you're producing, whereas a heart rate monitor or perceived effort is telling you how hard you're working. So your heart rate might tell you, you know, that that um, you're working really, really hard, and you might feel like you're working really, really hard. So you feel like you're pushing yourself to your limit. But then you look at the power meter and the number is actually low, which is telling you your performance is poor. And I guess if you go back 15, 20 years, a coach would always say, so we train and then every six to eight weeks we'll put in a test. So we'll do a 5K or a bike time trial or something and we will test to monitor your progress. But in essence, with a if, you've got a, if you're training with a power meter on your bike, for example, or if you're running with a GPS on and constantly looking at your speed, you are in effect testing yourself every single session, whether you feel that you are or not. You're comparing Monday with Wednesday and Friday and always looking at the numbers. Uh, and I, I, that's, a, that's a massive mental strain, isn't it? Where, so training is, is, is designed to um, you know, elicit a physiological response. Um, so it's, it, you, you're adding a workload to generate a response and adaptation, if you like, and that's what it's there for. You know, it's not there to test yourself against other riders in a race or test yourself to see how much power you can produce every single training session. It's just impossible to be at, be at your best every every single day. And I know you can tell people all you like to if you're doing a Zwift race on a Tuesday and then you're training to power on a Thursday. You can tell people all you like. Just don't worry about the power because you know you might be fatigued because you've trained really hard on Monday or you trained hard at the weekend. So just go from perceived effort and the power is what it is. 
but that's almost impossible, I think, for people to, you know, for people to accept, is it? You know, I think, look at the numbers. I think, yeah, we, I think I've talked about this in one of the talks that we've done for the Lakeland 100 before in terms of being very clear on what information you're giving yourself. Uh, so you choose, obviously, you're setting up your watch, you can choose what data is you're being exposed to. Um, I think we don't always appreciate sort of some of the subconscious effects of the data that we expose ourselves to. Um, you think about in a session where you actually think that you're actually you're running quite well um, uh, in a running session, and then you look at your watch, the effect that has on you, in, even if you're running into a headwind, so you, you've got good rational reasons to explain why you're not seeing the data that you're expecting to see. That has an instant effect on your mood uh, when you look at your watch and you see that information. Um, and so I think, you know, how frequently we expose ourselves to data, particular data, but actually what we what data we choose to look at and whether we choose to look at it during a session. I sometimes do sessions and I, I do record a, a, a lot of information, but I don't always look at it during the session. So mm -hmm. I might run a session completely on feel, but then I might evaluate that session afterwards because then the, the data is not influencing you during the session, but you have still got that feedback afterwards on how you performed. But likewise, you know, when people are just going out for an easy session and just a recovery session, you, you, you'll you see a lot of people on, uh, including elite athletes on social media, talking about when they just leave the watch at home or they just run to time and don't look at any of that information. And, and therefore, in those sessions, you can then just run on feel and it can be just easy and you're not just you're not looking at your watch and you've still got an idea of what easy should be in terms of pace and that's that or power and that's influencing you during the session so again I think it's matching um, when we look at information and what information we look at to what we're trying to get from a session but also recognizing what effect that has on you as an athlete in terms of your mood and your motivation yeah I know Mike, Mike was talking about the, you know, constantly training to prove yourself and whether that's racing against your mates or being on Zwift. And and I think there is, you'd say, Ian, there's that definite feel-good thing, isn't there? Because you get on and you smash it for 45 minutes and you get the endorphin rough and you think, rush and you think, that was a really, really good workout. I absolutely buried myself for 45 minutes. But I guess the point you're making, Mike, is that there are other objectives to training and not just smashing it for 45 minutes is that right yeah yeah the, you know the, the there are sessions that's the aim there yeah. are sessions and if it depends on the distances and the races that you're training for then then yeah that's a, a feature of your training so it's not saying don't train hard don't be competitive it is the the point is basically that when you've got a program that is written to get you to a goal stop deviating from the program because you can't control your discipline to stick to what that plan is. Mm -hmm. And when I'm seeing people deviate and saying, I can't stop myself, they're missing some of the easy things. If you can't, if you go to your club run session and you run in a particular group and every session, their aim is to smash themselves and you can't fight against that. If your session is a different intent and a different goal, just run with a different bloody group for that session. Yeah. Remove if you know you might want to go and cycle with your mates, you might want to go and swim with your mates, but if it's to the detriment of the plan, then is it there's an easy fix to this stuff. There's a really easy fix. And then you blame the program. You blame uh, the training plan was crap, the coach I had didn't really do it for me. No, they wrote you a perfectly good plan. What you didn't do is execute the plan. Yeah. And, and the reason you didn't execute the plan is because you jumped on Swift instead of going on yourself. You watched that metric instead of turning the thing off. Um, or, you know, what Ian said is, is something I do all the time. I rode for an hour this morning and my plan was 16K. But I had, ne I had Netflix on my phone and I had a towel over the, the sort of monitor of the, um, the console or the rower. And I checked it at the end because I didn't want to worry about how far I was after 10 minutes, how far I was after 15 minutes. Yeah. What's yeah. what's that going to do to my my stroke rate and my intent? Yeah. Um, the purpose of the session, and, and most of us recreational athletes, doesn't matter how serious you are, most of us want to execute the training plan that we've got. Mm. And, and, and as much as there's a time and a place for all of these systems to help us with our training, they can absolutely sabotage our training if we don't have that self-discipline to, to stick to it. 
Yeah, yeah. Everything starts with psychology. That's the thing. You can't even get yourself to stick to the plan. There you go. It's not the physical stuff that's the problem, is it? Yeah. I, I would say on the, on the output train as well, I think with Zwift and things like that, they, they need you to buy into that concept because what they sell is 45 minutes an hour with us is enough. You know, just come and do 45 minutes an hour. That's all you need. It fits into your lifestyle. So if people think they need to go out and ride for two or three hours, it kind of goes against Swift to some extent. And I think that I know we've talked in the past about this quality versus quantity and that, you know, going long and easy is garbage and it should be more quality. And it all feeds into that going hard, hard, hard. And that's why I find it fascinating, this term fatigue resistance, which is a fascinating new term for the word endurance. But fatigue resistance and that study that James Sprague did from Sprague Cycle Coaching was really, really good. And what he basically looked at is pro cyclists and he looked at some some like youngsters under 23s coming through and the more mature pros. And they've got a load of data over so many years and looking at the power data. And basically what he was saying is that, you know, the, the best riders and what the under 23 riders he was saying were in a lab test were just as powerful as some of the top pros. But the problem is they couldn't do it after six hours in the saddle and certainly not after five consecutive days of six hours in the saddle. So in those stage races, they're one in the last half hour, not in the first half hour. And if you if you can't produce good scores later on. So for someone doing an Ironman triathlon, for example, if you do your, your 20 minute FTP test might be OK. But if you're in bits after five hours, then it doesn't really matter. It's what you can do later down the line. And 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 what, what it's basically saying is that, that that volume was the key thing. That's what it was. It was volume not the intensity. So maybe things will turn turtle because of fatigue resistance now and we'll go back and everybody will say it should be quantity over quality. Who knows? Mm. We'll see. But it's an interesting balance when he's saying we focus on, you know, short, hard stuff. But actually, when you look at the pros, that's why they're winning, because they've got the volume in the, in the legs, you know. So mm. now I have got to go uh, open water swimming very soon, um, which uh, takes place every Wednesday at Three Sisters in Wigan. And you can book through the Endurance Store website. It's only £6 per swimmer. And we have multiple coach sessions. But there are no plugs. No plugs on this uh, No plugs on this uh, uh, podcast. But uh, but on that, before I say there are no plugs, I know you wanted to bring up the uh, Barclay Marathon. Or is it Barclay Marathons? The Barclay Marathons. Yeah, I men- mentioned it in the tweets of the week. So, um a good friend of mine has uh, set up this. He's become race organizer for, for this event. It's going to launch in September 2022. Um, I, I'm sworn to secrecy on a lot of the details. All I would say is um, a lot of people have assumed that the organizers weren't aware of the Barkley Marathon, um, the famous one over, over in the US with, with Lazarus Lake, and that they've sort of tripped themselves up and, and duplicated what someone else has sort of tried to do. Um, what I would, would just say is that there's absolutely no mistake that there is a absolute reason it's been called that. And there's a closer link than a lot of people may may think. All I wanted to do was signpost people to the, the at TB Marathons Twitter handle or the BarkleyMarathons.com, um, Barkley with a B-E-R-K-E-L-E-Y, Barkley Gloucestershire, not, not Barkley's Bank um check them out follow them they're gonna intentionally keep a bit of a mystique around it and and a shroud of secrecy and they're gonna drip feed some of this information but um for those who like a challenge this is going to be the one to go for in the next couple of years brilliant uh ian anything you want to sell and not, nothing i want to sell but it, it just just get me thinking that might be a useful topic for um uh, for a future podcast in terms of this sort of moving ultra running towards events where um, you, you're almost guaranteed to fail. So it's at what point you fail. So like Barclay Marathons is one example of that, where almost everyone that enters um, is, is guaranteed to fail. But also these sort of backyard ultras where it is guaranteed that everyone except one person is going to fail at some point where you've got like four mile loop that you have to do every hour. Um, I think psychologically there's something quite distinct about preparing um, but also executing in those sort of events. So I think that's that would be an interesting topic for a future discussion. Mm. That, 
that feels like tweets of the week to me, to be honest. Guaranteed to fail. <laughs> That's uh, yeah, every single week. Super. Well, I know there's lots of other things we have to talk about, but uh, I think we'll have to save them for next week instead. So, um, farewell for this week. Thank you very much again for your company, and uh, we will speak soon. Brilliant. Take care, everyone. Yeah, take care. Thanks for listening to the show today. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow myself uh, via the Endurance Store at Endurance Coach. You can follow Mike, the Endurance Physio, at the Endurance PT. And you can follow Dr. Ian Bordley at MD Sport X. That's MD Sport EX. Uh, you can also visit our website. You can visit theendurancestore.com, which is a local running shop near Wigan. And uh, we also offer the Endurance Coach testing and coaching services. And also just check out sportsinjuryfix.com, where you can find a sports injury specialist near you. Speak to you soon. <laughs>